0: You're listening to the Rockford Symphony Orchestra podcast, where we look to inform about our upcoming events and give insight to behind-the-scenes happenings at the RSO. This is Phil Davidson, and with me today is Rockford Symphony Orchestra music director Yaniv Vatar, and we are discussing romance, poetry, and valentines. The RSO performance happening on Saturday... February 10th at 7.30 p.m. at the Coronado Performing Arts Center. Welcome, Yaniv.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: And um, you're getting a rude awakening with the cold weather.
1: My first snowstorm in Rockford. Yay!
0: So let's talk about the title of of this performance, Romance, Poetry, and Valentines. I mean, obviously, they seem to go together. Right. And I understand that each composer who is involved in this program was inspired by poetry, uh, the beauty of the human voice, and by each other. So would you elaborate on that a little bit? I'm going to put Victor
1: Ullmann aside because of the connections to words, but all the other composers, Schumann, uh, Brahms, Mahler, those were composers, um, especially in the Romantic era, though they were very much inspired by poetry and words, and a lot of their music is set to words when you think of Mahler, for example. Um, who wrote a lot of vocal music, and his symphonies are very vocal. I mean, you think of the first symphony that we performed uh, at the beginning of the season, they are based on on the songs of A Wayfair. Uh, his fourth symphony, based on a song which comes at the last movement, um, Schumann as well wrote an incredible amount of songs for piano and voice, uh, So, and he was a poet himself. He was actually nicknamed the poet of the piano uh so uh very much connected to words Brahms I think is probably the composer who wrote better vocal music uh better choral music than any other composer especially in the romantic era something that was very close to their heart and their mu- the music unlike for example Beethoven and Mozart's music which is what we call absolute music you know um not connected to words and to the expression of of poetry, with these composers, it's very much connected. Um, And as you mentioned in your intro, their um, musical style, whether it's connected to the poetry or not, I think is very much integrated with one another. In many ways, Brahms is almost like a continuation of Schumann. Mahler is a continuation of Brahms. And I very much see... Uh, Victor Ullmann, who we present in this concert, is a continuation of Mahler.
0: Uh, Okay, so the program begins with Brahms' Naniya, Mm -hmm. something like that. Yes. Opus 82. I read that Brahms was considered by his contemporaries and later writers to uh, be both a traditionalist and an innovator. How so?
1: Well, when you look at the music of Brahms, um, he's very much a classicist in the way he develops music, in his orchestration, in his use of form, uh, etc. But but the way he incorporates all the romantic ideas within the older forms makes him so innovative. Um, and he, in many ways, opened the door to... Um, people who composers after him, like Mahler, like Schoenberg. Uh, A lot of early music of Schoenberg actually sounds like Brahms. Uh, So in that way, he was so innovative. One of the best quotes about the music of Brahms that I always think of, uh, it's because, you know, his music is so incredibly rich, but in a very compact and concise frame. Um, Somebody said to me once, in a four-hour Wagner opera, there's 40 minutes of music, okay? In a 40-minute symphony of Brahms, there's four hours of music. (laughs) And that tells you a lot about the music of Brahms.
0: Well, uh, Nania has been described as a soulful masterpiece. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Can you talk to us about, about this piece and what we will hear, how poetry is involved, and how the human voice is involved?
1: So it's a it's a piece for orchestra and, and choir. It's about I don't know thirteen fourteen minute long. Uh, Brahms wrote it as a uh, basically Nanny is, is a funeral song, and when you hear that you're going to hear in a concert a funeral song, you probably think something depressive, mm-hmm. something tragic. But very much like Brahms Requiem, it's very different. Brahms take, in 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 both the Requiem and in this funeral song a completely different take, meaning instead of focusing on the grieving and the mourning and the tragedy of death, he looks at the beauty and the celebration of the life that came before it. This is why in his Requiem, he doesn't use the the traditional um, uh, text uh, uh, for the Requiem of the Dies Ira, Day of Judgment and the Dramatic. It's, it's much more... A hopeful requiem, and in this case, it, it's it's uh, it's written to Schiller's text, and the first word "Ach das schöne sterben, even uh, beauty must die, and you know it's not in a minor key. I mean, there are some you know uh, dramatic elements in the music, of course, more in the middle, but both the beginning and the end, you are surrounded with absolute beauty and lush romantic sound, and then again, it's it's a hopeful way of looking back at someone's life with beauty. And and in the Romantic era I think it's it's a big part of it. And and beauty and nature and being hopeful. And I think that's what people are gonna hear in this piece. You know, you when you hear it you don't think it's a funeral song. Um, but it it gives you a very unique perspective about death.
0: Well speaking of beauty, the human voices that will be Doing this, yes, are quite beautiful.
1: They are quite beautiful. It's uh, a as, as I mentioned before. I really think Brahms is the best composer for choral music, or at least my favorite. Uh, and we have the Nielsen, Nielsen Choral uh, singing with us. It's my first time to work with them, so I'm really excited. I've been hearing that they are really enjoying the rehearsal process for this for this beautiful uh, uh, work by Brahms.
0: Terrific. Well, let's move on to. Victor Ullmann's piano mm-hmm. concerto. Tell us something about Ullman, uh, his tragic death and then he studied with a rather well-known composer.
1: So Victor Ullmann was a Czech Austro-Hungarian composer um, of Jewish descent. Um he studied with Schoenberg really was to be a prominent composer unfortunately uh during that time between the two world wars you know his music was forbidden to be played eventually he was arrested mm-hmm. and uh sent to the camp of uh, Theresienstadt which was a model camp the Nazis made. Usually artists were were sent there. And he was there. I mean, it was a very lively um, art scene there. He was a composer. He was a music critic. I mean, they had orchestra, they had jazz bands there. This is how the Nazis uh, portrayed to the world. Look at how wonderfully we're treating the Jews. They have Mm -hmm. all this rich cultural life. And actually... In many ways, it was very nurturing to him because he composed during the year in Terezinstadt more than he composed uh, like throughout his life before. Uh, eventually, he was sent to Auschwitz, where he found his death. But the the piano concerto that he wrote, um, he wrote it in 1939, uh, just as the uh, Germans were marching into Prague. You can actually hear almost hear it in the concerto he wrote. He wrote it for a colleague. They were both dreamt of bringing this piece to life uh, but of course they didn't live uh, to get to do that it's a very very interesting concerto very symphonic it's not just a, you know orchestra accompanying concerto, there's a like total equal part to both the orchestra and the piano and it's very seldomly performed, especially in this country I love his musical language, um, somebody asked me about it and I said, I said to them imagine if Mahler and Prokofiev had a baby uh, what would that sound like so it's a really interesting concerto, and I think the audience will will be amazed at this composition
0: well I think you've already you may have already answered part of this, but why is it described as being very dramatic? I think you've already alluded to that and and and, and how is contrast so much a part of this piece
1: this the, the first moment is very dramatic uh, uh then you have this Beautiful lyric second movement that could, again, could almost sound like Scriabin or some Prokofiev in it. Third movement almost sound like cabaret music, Mm. Um, Mm. which, you know, of course, Ullman was exposed to. And then the wild dance at the end. um, This was when Ullman was still a composer who went in a very certain direction of music. As he, uh, once he was arrested and he was writing more in the camps and he was surrounded only by Jewish inmates... Uh, He started then discovering his Judaism, and and he wrote then more about, I don't want to say religious themes, but more Jewish themes, culturally Jewish themes. uh, And his composition was, again, he went for a completely different direction. In his later music, music that he wrote in the camps, you actually would have hidden messages in the music that only people of that time could understand for example in in one of his operas uh the, the emperor of the atlantis in the inner voice there you would hear the german national anthem in a minor key hmm. you know this kind of hidden or or he would like play a little bit um, with a change the slovak national anthem which was forbidden to be played then, uh, these, kind of, these kind of things. Very interesting composer, which I think deserve to be heard much more, and I'm so excited that the um, um, audience here in Rockford will get to hear this wonderful concerto with a wonderful pianist.
0: Terrific. And who is that pianist?
1: Uh, Israeli pianist Einar Arden who is currently based in Berlin.
0: After this piece, you're including a rather short selection on the program, Blumina, something like that, Mm -hmm. I get close, Uh, by Mahler. Why did you choose this particular piece?
1: Well, I wanted to include something by Mahler, because I see a lot of the musical language of the composers is connected, Um, but like you say, it's a short example, and Mahler doesn't have a lot of short pieces. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this is the shortest The shortest I could find. It's also a small orchestra. Uh, Blumina was originally intended to be in the first symphony of Mahler. And when Mahler's first symphony was premiered, it was actually included in it. Uh, but Mahler got a lot of criticism about the symphony in general. You know, it was people... Didn't really get him, and one of the first thing he did was to remove this beautiful, beautiful movement. And only in 1960s uh, it was discovered, and uh, people either put it on their own or some people even included in the first symphony when they perform it. Now, it it has to do a lot about nature, which is the first movement of the Malas symphony. Also, is about nature, but I think this is almost like a a love poem to nature. Um, uh, you can almost imagine the text, and since a lot of Mahler's the first symphony is based on poems that he, Mahler himself wrote to Johanna Richter uh, about his his affair with her, um, this al- this is almost uh, 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 you know could be seen as a love as a, as a musical love poem uh, he wrote for her. Of course, we don't know, but uh, <laughs> but we can always imagine.
0: Yeah. Well, aren't there some? folk-like melodies in the piece. Very, too?
1: very folk-like melody, very sounds that evoke nature, beautiful trumpet solo that serenades throughout this movement. Uh, it's a lovely, lovely work.
0: Well, then we move from there to Symphony Number no. 4 by Robert Schumann. Mm-hmm. Now, he began, I believe, as a pianist as well as a composer. What is this about some mechanical device to strengthen his right hand that I read about.
1: Well, you know, too much of the disappointment of his mother, he went to become a musician. <laughs> uh, and a big part of the Romantic era was, you know, the idea of the soloist being a um, superstar virtuoso. So he wanted to um, improve his technique um, and had that device that's supposed to make his hand, I don't know, faster, better, whichever, uh, ended up completely re- ruining his hand that he oh, couldn't boy. perform in public, but we we got him as a composer as part of it. Yeah. So his loss uh, was our gain in, in that sense.
0: <laughs> well, I I was also reading that, this is a quote, Schumann's greatest ability is his taking chances.
1: A lot of the music that he wrote um, was really different than what was written uh in that in that time, for example, I mean the idea of uh, this fourth symphony is really a symphony in one movement, something that people you know were not used to at the time. They were used to the you know four movement kind of symphony, and actually uh, it's funny because when the when it was premiered. People clapped. Uh, they, they didn't know if to clap at the end of the symphony because they thought, "Oh, this is just the first movement." It's it's a rather short symphony as well. A lot of these things are really coming from uh, in his music, and almost like Beethoven as a as a rule breaker.
0: We we all need those people once in a right. while, don't we?
1: But they, you know, they never understood it their time.
0: That's right. Absolutely. Would you give us a description of? symphony number four and then why was it originally considered his second symphony
1: like i said it's in one movement but it still has the element the traditional elements that you would find in in a in a first movement of a symphony in a second movement they are all there so chronologically it is the second symphony he wrote this the music for this after his first symphony however it was so incredibly difficult to play and because of it it wasn't well received but he totally abandoned it. And 10 years later, uh, when he became the conductor of the Düsseldorf uh, Orchestra, which was not as good of an orchestra as the one that premiered it in 1841, 10 years before, which was the amazing Gewandhaus Orchestra. So he had to basically rewrite it for them. But the interesting part of it was, I would say that maybe only about 15% to 20% at most of the music was changed it's basically all the same melodic material etc and the form and all this Uh, some people i mean if i played parts of it they would wouldn't be able to tell you if it's the first version or the second version but what's amazing about this when he wrote this piece in 1841 his mental health was really great um and the The piece is full of lightness and exuberance. And when he revised it in in 1851, 10 years later, and that's why it became his fourth symphony, he was severely depressed. Uh, He was panic-depressive. And it's amazing that even without changing the music much, you can hear that state of mind Hmm. in the second version. That's why some people never want to play the second version because they think it's a psychological document that is very sad about the composer and they, they would rather have the, the lightness when he was, you know, much better. Uh, and actually, we have to thank Brahms for rescuing that first version. Uh, he thought that that version was better version than the second version, and he convinced Clara Schumann to publish that version. I don't know if Schumann would have approved it. I don't think she was happy with it, but he was the one, Brahms was the one uh, who was really responsible for the world to that to discover that first version. Uh, but the second version is the one that is mostly played today. It's a short symphony, but I think that's the difficult part to bring that lightness and, and fireworks together with heaviness and the mm-hmm. tragic uh, that surrounds that time of his life in 1851.
0: Well, this really sounds like an exciting program. It is. By the way, I believe you're continuing Soundbites. We are. Would you uh, go over that again with the folks?
1: Yeah, it's Friday at 12 p.m. at Monatisi, Uh and I will be interviewing our soloist, Ena Arden. There's an opportunity to meet her, hear her talk about music, about her take on the concerto, um, and, uh, and have some great food.
0: And that will be on Friday, February 9th, correct? Correct,
1: at 12 p.m.,
0: well, as I said, as is the case so often with RSO performances, this sounds spectacular. Uh, you really don't want to miss romance, poetry, and valentines presented, of course, by the Rockford Symphony Orchestra on Saturday, February tenth, at seven thirty p.m. at the Coronado Performing Arts Center. For more information about the concert and the tickets, and even more. Go to RockfordSymphony.com, or you can call 815-965-0049. This is Phil Davidson.
1: And I'm Yuniva Tara, Music Director of the RSL.
0: Thank you for listening.